the continuing threat from the malware WannaCry and creating a healthcare cybersecurity framework. These stories and more coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. We begin today's report at the U.S. Capitol in Washington, where a hearing was held on the lessons learned from the WannaCry ransomware worm. Among the witnesses testifying Thursday before a joint meeting of two subcommittees of the House Science Committee was Salim Nino. He's chief executive of Cryptos Logic. That's the security company that discovered and crippled WannaCry. Nino says the number of infected endpoints by the ransomware worm is much, much higher than originally reported. We believe that anywhere between 1 to 2 million systems may have been affected in the hours prior to activating the kill switch, contrary to widely reported and more conservative estimates of 200,000 systems. Nino says WannaCry continues to cause mischief, though it's no longer locking computers and demanding ransom in the form of bitcoins. The worm continues to propagate because it is scanning and seeking to expand itself, and that portion of the worm is not subject to the kill switch. And in effect, is still exploiting systems worldwide. What is not triggering is the payload, if you will, the ransom component. Most of these organizations worldwide right now don't know they're getting actively exploited still, but it's because they don't see the ransom portion of it. Nino says WannaCry remains active. I will note that the largest attack we we thwarted and measured to date from WannaCry was not on May 12th or May 13th when the attack started but began suddenly on June 8th and 9th on a well-funded hospital on the east coast of the United States. It is very likely the health system is still unaware of the event. We measured approximately 275,000 thwarted infection attempts within a two-day period. Another hospital was also hit on May 30th in another part of the country. A high school in the Midwest was just hit at the beginning of June 9th. The day before the hearing, reports surfaced that the National Security Agency suggested that North Korea was behind the WannaCry attacks. Lawmakers pressed Nino whether he believes if Pyongyang was behind WannaCry. The Crypto's Logic CEO wouldn't bite. While we, we think it's ambiguous and to conjecture over the origins of WannaCry, there are tales of code in there that suggest one way or another that some nation state could have been responsible. Unfortunately, anyone could have created this level of attack, and often misdirection is found typically in binaries like these attacks we see. I would compare it perhaps in an analogy to photoshopping a program to look a certain way, or it could have simply just been what it is, which is exactly what we see. I won't say that I know the origin of the attack, nor should I conjecture on it. What I can say is that these attacks are very difficult to attribute, and CryptosLogic is a cybersecurity company, not an intelligence agency, so it'd be very difficult for us to pursue an answer to that. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. When the National Institute of Standards and Technology created the cybersecurity framework, the framework was meant to be adapted for specific organizations and industrial sectors. That's what the Department of Health and Human Services Task Force recommends to do for the healthcare sector. Joining me to discuss the creation of a specific healthcare cybersecurity framework is Healthcare InfoSecurity Editor, Marianne Kolbasak-McGee. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Eric. What's the thrust of the task force recommendations? 
I recently spoke with task force member David Finn. He's the health IT officer at security vendor Symantec. Finn previously served as CIO and vice president of information services for Texas Children's Hospital. Finn told me that in creating a healthcare cybersecurity framework, industry members must change their approach to security, privacy, and compliance from one of just checking boxes and making sure IT has antivirus on the systems to address the impacts on the care providers themselves and that whole interconnected healthcare chain. And if that occurs, it would represent a big change for the industry in the way it tackles information security. I understand the task force members made more than 100 recommendations. We don't have time for all of them, but what do you see as some of the more significant ones? Creating a cybersecurity leader role within the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Finn explains why. And there's numerous reasons for this, but there's a lot of conflicts. There's a lot of ambiguity. There's a lot of kind of blank spaces in filling things in. And I think it's important to have someone who's going to work across HHS and work with the FDA and with the Department of Homeland Security and with NIST to begin to get more comprehensive and more conclusive answers because that will help everyone downstream. We have to start at the top and get those questions answered so we know what level of encryption is required and what we mean by access management and what's preferred and what you might be able to do. And right now, that's kind of all open to interpretation, and we need to get stronger guidance and better understanding of what the federal regulator, what the industry needs to do in order to protect themselves. Is it just cybersecurity leadership at HHS that the task force is concerned about? Uh, What about other types of healthcare organizations? A survey conducted last year by HIMSS Analytics showed that about one-third of healthcare providers hadn't designated an information security officer. The task force believes practically every healthcare entity needs a cybersecurity leader, but the panel recognizes that how that leadership is implemented would vary from entity to entity, often based on size. The task force recognized that small physician practices are especially challenged in having someone on staff focused on cybersecurity. Here again is Finn. If you're a small physician practice, the task force understood that this was going to be hard. You're running a business, you're seeing patients, you're kind of doing everything. And and we talk about some different models where maybe there's a shared CISO. So, so five or six physician practices get together and have the right expertise brought in to look at their individual practice. And if they can share the burden of that expanse and come up with some common rules, that's going to benefit the entire industry as we begin to move everyone in the same direction and we start to move the industry forward. The task force has disbanded. What happens to its recommendations? The report was released to Congress. Congress, or for that matter, the Department of Health and Human Services or other government agencies cannot require healthcare entities to have a CISO or mandate other recommendations. NIST has created the cybersecurity framework, but it doesn't insist that organizations adopt it. NIST does provide forums and workshops to help organizations adopt the framework. Similarly, I gather HHS working with industry associations such as HIMSS, the American Hospital Association, and the National Health Information Sharing and Analysis Center could convene forums and workshops to get healthcare entities to create and implement a healthcare cybersecurity framework. Thanks, Marianne. Thanks, Eric. I'll have some final thoughts after this. 
ISMG's Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit on June 20th and 21st in Chicago will address the current rise in the U.S. of data breaches, ransomware, business email compromises, phishing and computer network intrusions, and more. Hear from the founder of the Cyber Threat Intelligence Division of the U.S. Secret Service and other influencers. Visit events.ismg.io and register today. Finally, let's look at the trait curiosity. Albert Einstein once said, I have no special talent. I'm only passionately curious. Researchers contend curiosity increases one's ability to learn and retain information. Curiosity is the ability to wonder about the world around us, and curiosity helps us to understand immensely complex situations. But do our most senior government leaders lack the necessary curiosity to keep us safe and secure? I ask because what appears to be the lack of curiosity shown by President Donald Trump and Attorney General Jeff Sessions about Russian government efforts to use cyber to influence the U.S. presidential election. Before going further, let's assume that Trump individually and his campaign staff did not collude with the Russians in influencing the outcome of last fall's U.S. presidential election. According to recent testimony before the Senate Intelligence Committee, neither Trump nor Sessions seems particularly curious about the Russian actions. That's not the case with all government leaders. Here's former FBI Director James Comey testifying before the panel on June 8th, responding to questions from New Mexico Democratic Senator Martin Heinrich. Did the president in any of those interactions that you've shared with us today ask you what you should be doing or what our government should be doing or the intelligence community to protect America against Russian interference in our election system? I don't recall a conversation like that. Never. No. Do you, do you find not with, it not odd? With, not with President Trump. Right. I attended a fair number of meetings on that with uh, President Obama. Do you find it odd that the president seemed unconcerned by Russia's actions in our election? I, I can't answer that because I don't know what other conversations he had with other advisors or other intelligence community leaders. So I, I, I just don't know sitting here. Did you have any interactions with the president that suggested he was taking that hostile action seriously. I don't remember any interactions with the president other than the initial briefing on January the 6th. I don't remember, could be wrong, but I don't remember any conversations with him at all about that. Sessions too seems to lack curiosity about the Russian cyber mischief in testimony he delivered on Tuesday. The questioner is Maine Independent Senator Angus King. Do you believe the Russians interfered with the 2016 elections? It appears so. The intelligence community seems to be united in that. But I have to tell you, uh, Senator King, I know nothing but what I've read in the paper. I've never received any detailed briefing on how uh, hacking occurred or how information was alleged to have uh, influenced well, between the campaign. The, between the election, there was a memorandum from the intelligence community on October 9th that detailed what the Russians were doing after the election, before the inauguration. You never sought any information about this uh, rather dramatic attack on our country? On uh, no, you never, would, you never asked for a briefing or attended a briefing or uh, read well, the intelligence reports? You might have been very critical of me if I, as an active part of the campaign, was seeking intelligence relating to uh, uh, something that might be relevant to the campaign. I'm not sure that I'm would I'm not have talking been. about the campaign. I'm talking about the, what the Russians did. You received no briefing on the Russian active measures in connection with the 2016 election? No. I don't believe I ever did. 
By the nature of their jobs as president and attorney general, Trump and Sessions are among the most influential people in government when it comes to cybersecurity. It's disappointing that these leaders lack curiosity about cyber aggression that threatens our democracy. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time. Thank you.